Thanks for listening to the Adulting is Easy podcast. This is Lauren, and I manage the Adulting is Easy blog and podcast, which can be found at realadultingiseasy.com and anywhere you listen to podcasts for that matter. Today, we have another Spaces recording with our usual panel. That's Tom the Frugal Gay, Stephen Wealthy, Coach Clint, and myself, Lauren from Adulting is Easy. We also were joined by CJ Smith and the Contrarian Saver as well. The topic this week was STRs, that is short-term rentals. These are Airbnbs, VRBO, vacation rentals, seasonal rentals, etc. So we talked about running numbers, getting started, any uh, nightmare stories that we've had. We answered some questions. It was a really good time, and I think you'll get a lot out of it. I hope you enjoy it. All right, let's officially kick this off. Hi, everybody. I am Lauren from Adulting is Easy. As always, on Wealth Wednesday, these will be recorded. And if you have to jump off, it will be posted on the Adulting is Easy podcast feed in a few days or so. Hey, Bashara, nice to see you. Um, so we have tonight our normal panel. That's myself, Stephen Wealthy, Coach Clint, and Tom the Frugal Gay. We've also invited CJ Smith and the Contrarian Saver to join us on our panel tonight. We are, of course, going to hear from others as we always do. And our topic is short-term rentals. And short-term rental, STR, it's often called. So if I slip up, I'll probably call it that. These are also often referred to as Airbnbs, right? VRBOs, vacation rentals, in some case, seasonal rentals. So that is going to be the topic for tonight. Um, so I guess maybe we'll just go ahead and do introductions. Tom, do you want to kick that off? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Tom Brickman. I am the frugal gay here on Twitter and Instagram. I recently left my nine to five job to do real estate and my side hustle, which is cheap, cheap closeout. Uh, it's an eBay store that does reselling of closeout merchandise. And I am in the process of turning one of my 18 doors into a short-term rental. Uh, we're putting finishing touches. We were just talking about that before we started, but I will have a short-term rental going into the summer. And this short-term rental is in Ohio, but it is on the water. And I will go ahead and pass it over to Stephen. Hey, thanks, Tom. I'm Stephen Wealthy. Uh, I've made most of my wealth through real estate investing and also through index funds. In the summer of 2020, I learned how to do crypto mining and it's been a terrific source of passive income. Um, I don't have any short-term rentals, so I'm here to learn tonight and ask questions and try and get as much knowledge as I can because I, I find this topic absolutely fascinating and I'm excited to learn from CJ and Contrarian uh, Lauren and Tom, how you guys pull these off and how does it work? And so really excited to be here with you guys tonight. And thanks for joining us. Clint, do you want to go next? Sure. You bet, brother. So I am Coach Clint and I now officially have the website coachclint.com. So I'm excited about that. I am a CFO in real estate by day. And in the evenings, I write books host a podcast, The Pursuit of Learning, and invest in real estate. I have eight doors at the moment with a market value of approximately $10 million. Six of those are long-term rentals, five townhomes, one apartment. I have a single-family house in the city, and we have one short-term rental uh, cottage or house on a lake up in the interior of BC. And for half the year, we try to rent it out for 
a month at a time or more. And then for the other half of the year, we try to rent it out on a, on a one week minimum basis and have it fully rented uh, for that high season. And then we go there for, this will be the first summer we've owned it for a full summer. We'll go there for two or three weeks and Lauren, I'll pass it over to you. All right. So that's our normal panel again, 9 PM Eastern every Wednesday for wealth Wednesday. And now let's get to our guests. CJ, we are having you back. So I think you know the deal. Do you want to give your intro? Yeah, sure. Uh, first, I want to uh, shout out to Tom and you, Lauren, for inviting me on. Um, thank you guys for inviting me back. But uh, my name is CJ Smith. Um, I played in the NFL um, before I had any financial literacy. I spent a lot of that money that I made in NFL um, and then made some wealth back by house hacking. Um, I've house hacked a duplex and a triplex, and I turned one of the units into my triplex into a short-term rental. Um, and then one fun fact is I just got a new remote job, and it's actually for this uh, short-term rental company, and it's called Vacasa, um, one of the biggest short-term rental property management companies in the U.S. So that's been a good experience. Um, I'm doing sales over there, and it's full-time remote. So, yeah. Awesome. And that leaves Contrarian Saver for your intro. Oh, hi, everybody. I am Contrarian Saver. I would also like to thank everyone for giving me the opportunity to be part of this. I'm uh, in great company tonight. Uh, Let's see. I left the corporate world about seven years ago to focus almost full time on my uh, real estate. I worked in entertainment for about 20 years. And right now I own I guess eight, I just uh, opened my eighth short-term rental and they range in, you know, length from nightly to monthly, depending on local laws. Uh, they're primarily in Southern California. I have some in Los Angeles. I have a bunch up in Joshua Tree. And I just opened one up in Hawaii and i um, really pleased to be here. Awesome. So glad you're joining. You're joining us tonight. Hey, everybody. Lauren from Adulting is Easy. I'm down here in Florida. Right now, we have five short-term rental listings. We only have four at a time booked because we need to be in one of them. So um, we kind of rotate around a little bit. We just bought a six-unit recently, and we are in the process of converting three of those units into short-term rentals. And then we have one more long-term rental as well. So my journey started in 2020 as far as uh, short-term rentals go. My husband and I were looking to house hack and we just happened to really fall in love with a small kind of tourist town in the Tampa Bay area. And it came with two cottages and a mobile home. And the cottages were small and the mobile home was dilapidated. So we got rid of the mobile home and replaced it with a camper. And the sizes of the cottages and the fact that the property was a bed and breakfast when we bought it all kind of lended itself to short-term rentals. We didn't really set out to do that. It just made more sense than long-term rentals. And we really fell in love with that. Um, We love showing people our town. We love that we get to take care of the outside of the property, the backyard. We spent like $35,000 on it. It's absolutely beautiful. It's like an oasis here in Florida. And people definitely feel like they're in Florida when they get here. And that passion really has expanded. And so we bought another property and half of half of it, it's a, it's a duplex. One side is short-term, one side is long-term. And then we really wanted to expand even more. So that's why we're adding, adding three rentals. So by the end of the year, we'll have eight short-term and four long-term rentals. So that's, that's pretty exciting. 
So I think I would like to, so CJ, let's, I got a question for you. I didn't know about Vacasa. That's awesome. Will you tell people about, tell people about, about it? Yeah. So Vacasa is uh, the largest short-term rental management uh, company in the United States. And they help uh, homeowners, people who normally have second homes, uh, manage their vacation rental successfully. Um, and they do help them do it, you know, completely hands off. So they hire the um, local service team. They do all the marketing. So they partner with Airbnb and VRBO and they, you know, they, they help the homeowner furnish the property and they just take care of everything. So, I mean, it's a cool opportunity, you know, to get completely hands off if you're thinking about the short term rental uh, market. But they do take a cut out of, you know, the, the income. So there's pros and cons to both. How much is it? Um, that I do not know. Um, it's it's a, a range between uh, I think it's like 20 and 30 percent. But mm-hmm. it really depends on, you know, the average daily rate of the short term rental and how much, you know, the homeowner is willing to uh, let it be booked out throughout the whole year and how much they want to visit throughout the whole year. So it, that all comes into play on how much of the cut um, Vacasa takes. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, 20 to 30%, I think, is pretty standard. And some of it depends on who's doing the communications, who's doing the cleaning, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Contrarian, you have some of your properties, at least some of them are professionally managed, right? Is that how does it work for you? Uh, Yeah, I have three that are professionally managed. And the three that are managed that way um, are nightly. So I can, you know, have people in there for three nights, two nights, one night. And Basically, I use a local management company. And the reason I did that versus sort of a national company is I really wanted a lot of control, a lot of visibility. So I go in there, I update pricing at least once a day. I see all the messages that happen on Airbnb between the guests and the management company. So I understand when something is off or I understand what people like. I understand what they don't like. And that really helps me optimize those rentals, but also all of my other rentals. So that worked for me. I do have a niece that just bought a short-term rental that uses Vacasa and likes it. Um, and I think it's, a, it, from what I've seen, it's a really good option if you want to be very hands-off, although I don't know nearly as much about it as someone like CJ uh, would. So why only three of them versus all eight being managed by somebody else? Why do you do some of them? Well, let's see. Of the other eight, four of them are 30-day minimums, and that's because of local laws. So when you have a 30-day minimum, you tend to have people renting on average two, three, four months at a time. So you have three or four check-ins and check-outs per year, so it's a lot easier to manage. Now, there is one that I manage um, deliberately for a couple reasons, personally, even though it is, um, you know, one-day minimum or two-day minimums, nightly, you know, check-ins and check-outs. Um, it is more work, but I have the freedom to do um, to test different things that might not work with my management company that may not fit their business model. Um, so I'm able to experiment. Obviously, you know, I don't have to pay the 25% fee. So, you know, the profit is maybe almost double what the other ones have. But by the same token, I can't really do that on all four of the nightly airbnbs because that way every friday night i would be bombarded with questions about how this works or how that works or directions uh, from everybody checking in and um (laughs) i just don't want to handle that yeah i know how that is we started putting qr codes right next to the nest thermostats and right next to the rokus for that (laughs) that's a great idea (laughs) yeah i got so tired of that 
Um, let's see. So Clint, will you tell us more about your short-term rental? You've done long-term rentals to this point. Was the primary reason you wanted to have a short-term rental so that you could use it? No, because we're too monetarily frugal, I would say. So the, it was that for me, Lauren, like, you know, conceptually growing up as a kid, uh, the idea of someday having a place on a lake was a wonderful idea. And with COVID, there isn't much opportunity to travel. So last summer, we actually went up there for three weeks with friends. So not the one we just had, but summer of 2020. We went up there for three weeks with friends. It was an absolutely amazing experience. And my friends ended up buying one. Uh, from a financial perspective at the time, we weren't in shape to buy one ourselves, although I, I wanted to. Fast forward one year later, we went back up with them for two weeks. We stayed up there for two weeks. And while we were there, I started to look at it from a different lens. I started to look at it from a financial investment lens as opposed to a second home. Our friends and some other people we know up there, they won't rent theirs out when they're not in it. They're looking at it more as a second home that's theirs when they want to be in it and not rent it out otherwise. But I started to look at it from the angle of, well, wait a second. We've been up here for five weeks over two summers. We've really enjoyed the experience. And we were living in other people's homes while we enjoyed that experience. So why wouldn't we enjoy the same experience if we were – in essence, just renting our own place. And so that told me I'm fine renting it out. I have no issue with it. And when we started to run the numbers, Lauren, it appears that this will be the first asset of the eight assets we have that really cash flows. And during the six months of blue, and, and we'll probably talk about this tonight, low season versus high season, especially with your properties. During the six months of low season, you rent it out for about 2500 per month. During high season, it's about $750 per night. So you look at that delta and say, okay, during that high season, we'll be able to rent it out, make a ton of money. And during the low season, it'll pay its mortgage. It'll pay the bills. So that when we ran those numbers, it seemed very attractive from a return on my cash perspective. And then over the long term, it would give us somewhere to live in the sunshine when we're not uh, traveling the world. That's awesome. That, that's wow. Those numbers are incredible. I don't have as much of a as much of a seasonal difference as that. Clint, when you talk about run the numbers, what did you? People ask me this question all the time, so I'm interested for your take. How did you run the numbers in terms of assumed nightly rate and assumed vacancy? What I did, and I'd have to pull up the spreadsheet. I have it here, so I'll double check if I'm right. But I assumed that during, I believe I said that five months of the year would be high season seven months of the year would be low season we'd do 250 a month during low season 750 a night during high season i assumed that we would use it for three weeks and then i think i discounted it all by about 15 percent and then on the expenses we pay 30 percent expenses to our property manager so that's that's our expenses put in the mortgage rates and 
then ran a ten year ran a ten year IRR, assuming you know three percent inflation per year in rents, and said, "Hey, what's my ten year IRR on this thing?" And I think it came in at about eighteen percent. So I looked at that and said, "Okay." That's way more attractive than the twelve to fifteen I'm getting on my properties down here in the in the city. I'll pull it up, Got Lauren, it. so I can be exact on that. Okay, yeah, I was just curious, Contrarian. How do you run your numbers? Like, how did you decide? You said you have you kind of have three different areas, right? L.A., Joshua Tree versus Hawaii. How do you run those those numbers and decide? All right, the next one I'm not going to buy in Joshua Tree. The next one I'm going to buy in Hawaii. Uh, well, generally, the way I look at it is um, I look at the purchase price as sort of a lump of cash. I look at it all on leverage. So if a place costs $200,000 and it costs another 100000 to fix it up, I'm assuming that you know the baseline is $300,000. I'm not assuming any kind of a loan or anything like that, although sometimes I do get one, sometimes I don't. And I generally target a 10 to 15% return. And it's fairly easy to figure out um, how much you're going to get in terms of revenue. You just look at similar properties um, and you adjust up or down depending on the quality of the property that you're looking at and, you know, what you think you can do with it. And, you know, if it's monthly, you kind of see what people are asking in the market. You see who's booked. You kind of have a feel for what people are getting. And um, then you just deduct whatever the expenses might be. Um, you know, it's, it's just a standard list. It's utilities. It could be a management fee. I don't use a management company if it's monthly. Um, it could be an HOA if it's in a, you know, uh, an HOA community and so forth. And I just target that 10 to 15% basically. Does that answer it? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I also, when we were first looking at um, the bed and breakfast that we bought we looked at similar properties. Um, since then, we've also been using AirDNA to estimate some of those things. And also, we use Price Labs for the pricing of our properties. So I sometimes get, you can buy like a dashboard for like $9.99 or something. So that helps you both with vacancy and with pricing. And then I, when I run numbers, we just, we up the vacancy by 10%. So if they say the vacancy, or lower it, I guess. So if they say the vacancy is going to be 70, we run it. Um, or I'm sorry, they say the occupancy is going to be 70. We run it at 60, right? We run it at, instead of 30% vacancy, we run it at 40% vacancy. Mm-hmm. And we run the numbers by about, you know, the nightly rates by about 10% less as well. Um, so that's how we run those numbers. There's also utility costs and like linens and stuff. It's just like purely just stuff walks away or gets damaged or, or you need new ones. So that's kind of a, that's probably the two of those together, 15 or 20% for us that we assume. Yeah, I, I looked at Air DNA. I, I wasn't crazy about it just because there's such a huge differential here in California um, between properties based on uh, the extent to which they're done. The views are really huge. Right. You know, in, it, it's it just may. I mean, you could get double for one property that's right next to another just because the views it has you know views you can see 50 60 miles versus the other one. So it didn't seem like Air DNA really incorporated those subtleties. So I ended up just, I usually end up just doing my own research, but I know people that use AirDNA. Totally, totally agree. We also, there was a local host here, Clint, I'm going to get to in one second. There was a local host here who um, was nice enough. She invited us over when we were going to list. I met met her on Facebook and she invited us over. She she let us like tour her, um, her cottage, which was a, you know, 500 square foot cottage. Like one of ours is, she told us, you know, what, you know, she told us, 
how she, uh, just everything that she did, what she makes, how much things cost, what she's done, what, what not to do, things like that. And she also told us how the vacancy had been working for her, which was really key for us to have kind of like a real in-person gut check in terms of like you were talking about, Clint, what season, what's not. Um, we ended up having a better first year than we anticipated. But yeah, go ahead, Clint. Yeah, I wanted to make sure I was exact because there was some real estimating there. And, and I know when we start talking about these numbers, people can get a little a little pedantic that we're not making some wild ass guesses and that it that you know we're we're making these things up. And so what I did was I had I assumed that I can rent it out for six months at two thousand a month. We're currently renting it out for six months at twenty five hundred a month. And then I assumed that I could rent it out seven hundred a night, even though it's listing at seven fifty for four and a half months. And so what I did was I the one and a half months, two to three weeks of that will be us. And then three to four weeks, I've just assumed it's empty and I've assumed it's empty during high season. So the impact is more detrimental. Inflated rents at 2%. I assumed an operating expense ratio of 42% and inflated that at 2%. And then I, where we get the benefit up here, Lauren, as well, is the debt. And so my debt on this was sub 2% for 80% loan to value. I've put 2.5% into the calculation, which is 1% higher than we than we went in at, and it's still a 20% IRR. So that's, like, I looked at that and said, if we hit these numbers, and we really have to assess after one to two years, then I need to buy so many more of these, it will be unbelievable. Back to you. I knew you were going to be exact because you're a CFO. So that makes total sense. I think maybe I will pull. Does anybody have any questions for us? <clears throat> I got a question. I, I want to know how to get started. So what's the easiest way? Because the numbers are incredible. I, I don't think there's any disputing that. How can I start a short-term rental? I don't know if CJ or Contrarian, if you want to guide me how to do that. Do I convert a current long-term? Do I go get a new property? Do I focus on a vacation spot? How do I start? I mean, I can tell you how I started. I don't know how, you know, if it's duplicatable, but, um, you know, basically uh, I wanted to invest in real estate. I wanted to make a good return. Um, nobody would give me a loan because I already had um, a multifamily and a big loan on that. Uh, so basically I had cash. Uh, I wanted to do something local because, you know, I wanted to be there for the renovation and everything else. And the closest place that I could afford was about 150 miles away because I live in L.A. I only had like $100,000, $150,000 in cash. Um, so just by process of elimination, I ended up in the middle of, uh, of Joshua Tree about five years ago, you know, looking at fixtures. And I also um, looked at that market in terms of, uh, you know, what the returns were on Airbnbs, uh, vacation rentals. And, you know, the numbers basically told the story. So you know, I would maybe identify what your criteria are. So, you know, it's maybe an area that, you know, somewhere local, somewhere that might be affordable. And then, you know, of all those, see what is a popular vacation market, what is producing good returns, um, and then just run the numbers. And if the numbers play out, then I would start making offers. Okay, so I buy the property and then 
let's just say it's in a vacation area. What? How does the management and the setup work for that? Like, do I? Because I've never done it before. Think of it like I'm totally new. Do I list it with Airbnb? Like, how? How does this all work? How do the payments work? How does the whole thing work out? Yeah, I think Airbnb is a really good place to start. I mean, a lot of people list it on multiple platforms, but, you know, I get such a huge percentage through Airbnb and they are able to guide you through everything. But in terms of like the decisions, like management company or even, you know, to what extent do I fix this up? What do I, you know, what do I do with the place? How do I maximize revenue? I would really think pretty hard about what your target is. So if you're looking to make a 15% target, you're going to need to make, say $4,000 a month or whatever the number is, you know, that's $133 a night. How do I get to $133 a night? You know, am I going to be able to afford 25% for a management company? You know, do I have to add amenities to it? I would just work backwards from what your target is. And then that kind of makes the other decisions a lot easier. Can I ask what the most important amenities are or most valuable amenities are? usually the ones that are the biggest pain in the butt (laughs) (laughs) yeah outside barbecue or something like that or the pool or something i don't know what really really depends on um you know on the area i mean i live in southern california so people always want outdoor space um but in joshua tree it's a hot tub which is an absolute nightmare um there you know i mean it costs five thousand to install eight thousand to buy um they break a lot they constantly have to be repaired but I mean, you can get like a 20% bump in your nightly rate just from a hot tub. So, you know, it pays out. So we really, I would just look at the other Airbnbs, the other vacation rentals in the area and see what amenities they have. And then you'll sort of understand what is uh, and which ones they promote and they talk about. And then it becomes fairly obvious. You also talk to people. I mean, talk to management companies, talk to other people that own in the area. That's a really good point, though, about how, you know, check out the other properties in the area see what amenities they're promoting, see what the top listings are doing, and then trying to mimic that. No no need to reinvent the wheel. You know, you don't need to have a ping pong table if nobody else has one. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would just truly try to understand the market. I mean, the more research, yeah. the better. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so how... And again, I've never done it before, so I have no idea how this is coming in. How difficult is it to list and get started on Airbnb? I mean, I think the other people can can add, but I think it's pretty easy. I mean, they walk you through step by step and they don't let you list unless you have the photos, unless you know you give the all the information that's necessary, unless you describe what the outdoor amenities are, you know, um, unless you, you know, define what the house rules are, unless you define what the you know, what the pricing looks like. So um, I would just start with the basics with them and then I might get a little bit fancier uh, after the fact with uh, pricing engines and you know, anything else that you, and communication tools and so forth. Yeah, I agree completely. It literally walks you through. It's like, okay, name your listing, right? Number one, number (laughs) two, right? Like, it's just like, like, how many beds do you have? What are the beds, right? I mean, like, you'd, you'd have to work real hard to screw that up. Now, something that's super important are the pictures, right? Like, that's how people book. I um I also I think a lot of people get analysis by paralysis or they like try to be perfect. We because when we bought our first place, we bought the bed and breakfast, we renovated it from July to December. And again, like our season is like 
we, we thought it was like January to like May. We actually got January through July pretty solid. Um, but we were like, we got to just list. You know, like we didn't have time. Like literally like I put the stuff on the bed. I took pictures on my phone and I listed like that's what I did. And because we we are my husband and my goal last year was to be really, really budget friendly and to just go and build the plane while we were fly- we were flying. So like we listed one cottage and then while that was listed, we worked on the other one. And then that was listed a week later. And then we listed the camper a week later. So we kind of had them rolling into January. And our goal was to kind of be cheap to work on reviews and then to refine for season. And then after season, get the professional photos done and kind of figure things out from there. Um, what I will add too is it's not a big deal to basically do the same exact thing on VRBO as you did on Airbnb. And the count cal- you can actually sync the calendars together. You do need to sync on both platforms. I made this mistake where I sunk, I, like I sunk, I synced one with the other, and then didn't sync it back and got a double booking. It ended up working out just fine because the guy that I double booked wanted to move it anyways. So no harm, no foul. But you do need to sync on both. But you really can. That gets a little bit cumbersome because you are going back and forth between two apps. You know, it gets a little confusing that way. You're looking at even though like the way that the calendars are like one of like VRBO will block a whole day. And that means it's that night. So they're checking out in that morning, but there's no nobody, nobody on the calendar for the morning, whereas Airbnb does a little differently. So it gets a little bit confusing, but really it's it's really no no skin off your back to list on at least both of those sites. Clint, you had your hand up. I was just going to, I was going to talk to Steve about where he is in, in his life, what he has going on. And when he's talking about listing on Airbnb and managing the property that the, in all likelihood where I think Steve would land if he was doing this from scratch is hiring a property manager to manage that Airbnb or VRBO listing for him versus going all in and doing it himself. Because even, even, Steve, like if you could imagine on our property, and if you want to do this, just come get a property up in a Soyuz with me, and then we can spend time together in the summer and um, and rent them out together and reap the rewards when we're not there together. But the what you'll see is if you're renting it out every week and you're living in Calgary and you're renting out a place in a Soyuz, because there's not many places in Calgary where I could see you being, you know, reaping the full benefit of the Airbnb experience. So if you're going somewhere like a Soyuz or Kelowna or Kamloops, sorry, FI, I guess that applies to you too, brother. The, <laughs> it, well, it's probably even worse for you, FI. Okay, well, well, okay, well, hold on. What about, what about Banff and Camloops? That, that can work, yeah, no? Yeah, that's why yeah. I'm saying a Soyuz, yeah. Kamloops, Kelowna, Banff, there we go. Okay. right? But, but you, you look at that and say, well, if I'm in Calgary or if, I'm in Edmonton and I'm renting out a place in Banff and I'm renting it out for a minimum one week stay. How am I, how am I processing that turnaround? How am I working with the cleaners? How am I getting all those bookings and credit cards and dealing with the, with the tenants when they're having the issues? So I, I think the, for you, and for someone like me, outsourcing that to a property manager may make more sense. The problem is, as Lauren and CJ were saying, you're paying a lot more than you would a property manager for a long-term rental. 
for example, Lauren, you mentioned 20 to 30 and we're at that 30% number. That's a lot of your revenue that you're paying to someone, but I think it's partially because there's such a headache for doing it. Sorry, Lauren, that was a, a long response to that one for Steve. No, 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 you're, you're definitely right. And we were, we were on a house hack, so we were on the property and there's certainly like kinks and stuff that need to be worked out. The biggest wild card with short-term rentals are the cleaners. The second biggest wild card for us are our landscapers because we really have very beautiful high-end, high-maintenance lawns. And we, we've done that on purpose because we've, we've chosen to, for the lawn to be a differentiator for us. Um, the insides of our places, they're kind of just okay. Most of them are pretty small. So we've decided that our yards are going to be the differentiator and people absolutely comment on them all the time. And it, it, it's great. So I manage the cleaners and my husband manages the landscapers and we have a hot tub at one place. So he manages the hot tub and the landscapers. And so that's kind of how we've divided and conquered. It does, I would say like when we had the three of them and we were managing through the platforms versus the software that we have now, I was spending probably like 15 to 30 minutes a day on it. And that included like a conversation with the cleaners at lunchtime, which is pretty much, you know, I work from home. So at lunchtime they would be cleaning, go talk to them, see how things were going. It's a lot more automatic now since we have more systems and processes in place. But like, you know, when somebody has a problem with something, we're pretty close currently. And if you were going to be far away, I would, I would definitely generally recommend a property manager, but contrarian, you know, you are a little ways away at least from the one, the one that you don't manage. Yeah. I mean, I, you do. I, I, um, I agree with you. I mean, it's really about having a great cleaning team. It's really about having a great team. Uh, I mean, it's the cleaners. I have a handyman. I have a contractor. There's a plumber I can call. Um, so, and also, I mean, if I need to go out there, I, I can, I'm two to three hours away, but it doesn't really take that much time at all. I agree with you. It's maybe 15, 20 minutes a day. Um, you know, there's a little bit of communication with, um, with the guests and I use an, an automated program called Guesty that handles a lot of that. Uh, so it's not that big a deal with just one. I mean, I don't find it to be that big a deal, but if someone is really, trying to figure out like, gee, this whole Airbnb thing, it's so incredibly overwhelming and confusing. I might just like put a room in your house on Airbnb for home sharing just as a test. And that way you'll get familiar with the platform. Um, you know, if you get a bad review, it doesn't matter because you may not be doing this permanently with your own home anyway. It's just a test just to kind of get a sense of how the whole system works um, before you go and spend 200, 500, whatever, $800,000 you know, on a property and, and dive in. Another question I get a lot, Steve, and maybe you're thinking along these lines is, okay, so I buy this place. What do I put in there? Where do I find that stuff? I get that question. And mostly it's from guys for some reason. I don't know why, but they're like, I have no idea how to decorate. I don't know how to do this. What am I going to do? And, you know, my husband and I, we've made a very conscious choice to be budget friendly places. Our places are small. Our goal is like if you want a self, basically like a self-contained place that you get the whole place and you don't share walls with anybody, but it's like a 200 square foot she shed cottage thing. Right. You're going to book our place and our lawn is beautiful and we have a lot of density. So we have four units. Right. Our primary and these three other ones that are on one mortgage. Right. We have one like we have the linens and stuff we have the pro systems processes everything here all on this one spot so we can be a little bit cheaper and still make really good money 
we're not like the cheapest anymore. We were the cheapest last year. We're kind of middle of the road for our size, but we still stay, stay very, very booked. But I don't, as of right now, have super high-end furnishings in my places because I I don't feel as though they would give us a ton more bookings. I don't think our vacancy would change and I don't think our rate would change. Of the, For example, of the two cottages, we have one that's 500 square feet, has a full kitchen. It's like basically $20 more per night than the one that's 200 square feet and has like no kitchen. And that 200 square foot one books first every single time. Every single time it books before the other one. And if I were traveling, I would never book something without a kitchen. But I think people just, they want a budget-friendly option, at least in this area. So we've chosen to do that. Contrarian, I know you're like the complete opposite. You're like high-end, have the designer, everything. Yeah, I mean, part of that is the area that I operate in. And I mean, up in Joshua Tree, I mean, you have, it's amazing what people are doing from an architectural perspective, from a design perspective. I mean, you have places that are in, you know, Dwell Magazine constantly. And then, you know, here in West Hollywood, there's also an expectation. And also the price gives an expectation as well. So, um, you know, I do have one that's in sort of a lower income area in Hawaii, but still sort of resorty. Um, I use a designer for absolutely everything. He's done eight properties for me. He's actually done my own properties, probably done 10 total. Um, and it's been worth every penny. I have no design sensibility, you know, whatsoever. I'm gay. I'm supposed to, but I miss that gene, I guess. (laughs) So, you know, basically, um, he's been worth his weight in gold. Um, but again, that's the markets I operate into. It's not as, as budget friendly as some others. Clint, did you have for seven fifty a night? I would think people would have pretty high end expectations. Yeah, I mean, I I keep referring to it, Lauren, as a cottage, but there's four or five bedrooms, and it's as large as my house. Um, and from a design perspective, we don't necessarily like the design. It doesn't align with what we would do, but my wife went to town on artwork and, uh, all the little things. And then what we're likely to do is over the next year or two, some of the furniture that's in our house, we're going to bring it there, replace some of what's up there. And then, um, give that furniture to my siblings who could use it and buy new furniture for our actual house now that we're, we're going to be uh, staying here longer term. Gotcha. Okay. CJ, what about you? Did you decorate your unit yourself? And how did you decide to, did it start, did your house hack start with one of them on short term or did you start long term with that one or how did that go? Yeah, so we bought a triplex. Um, we house hacked it. Uh, we lived in one unit. The other unit was a long-term unit. And then we uh, renovated the third unit and put it on Airbnb. And so, like, as far as, like, renovating it, we, we chose the flooring and, like, the kitchen finishes and everything like that. But just the unit's so small. It's 500 square foot. So we just went to Ikea and Target. And it's pretty simple. I let my wife do all that stuff. Yeah, doing one would be nice. Um <laughs> I feel like I'm always doing multiples at the same time. <laughs> Sorry, CJ, you said something about, it almost sounded like you said you met your wife through that. Pro- I, I didn't quite hear that, oh, but that no, sounded no, no. like a story. Can you, can you guys hear me? Yeah. A little bit. Okay. I feel like I can oh. hear ocean or something in the back. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Can you guys hear me now? Good. Okay, cool. Way, way better. Um, no, I did. I met my wife in high school, actually, um, and we didn't get married until um, we were after college. But I, I said I let my wife design a lot of the, the short-term rental stuff, and it's really not complicated at all. It's just, you know, Ikea and Target and putting together furniture. So pretty simple. Tom, what did you do? I think that this panel is great because we have such a diverse slate of Airbnb hosts from high-end Joshua Tree, Hawaii, to um, my market, which is in Ohio. I do all my own designs, and I have a mix of some nice furniture that we um, have put in. And then I, um, being an avid Gap shopper, started buying Gap furniture, which is sold at Walmart. Um, and I put that into there. So I, but you would never be able to tell it's Walmart furniture. So I feel like I just showed my cards to everyone in the room and told them that I bought furniture from Walmart, but it is gap branded. Um, and it is pretty good quality from what we've seen so far. Um, and it go, and it also was furniture that I liked. And when I'm going to go up there and stay in there, I wanted something that I'm going to be comfortable with and I'm going to like, and just like CJ and his wife did for my market where we're getting, you know, $91 a night is what it looks like. It's going to be, I'm good with, with my FI squirrel, stop the laughing. I'm good with my, um, target stuff and my Walmart stuff and, and, I need to call Lauren out on this. Lauren has actually never even been in an Ikea before. And right now my husband is in the other room assembling Ikea cabinets as we, as we speak. So that's a key to my um, 18 doors is a little bit of Ikea, a little bit of everything kind of makes a really nice place. Now, do I get a rebuttal or the um, Lauren, I want to, I want to chime in on that because when we, went up last summer together we had a u-haul truck full of ikea furniture and wayfair furniture when we got up there my wife and i the, the walmart was actually an hour away and we made a half day trip to walmart and filled up our truck to or uh, suv to bring the stuff back to finish out the furnishings with a, a lot of the odds and ends. So I'm with CJ and Tom. We are a Walmart, Wayfair, Ikea, short-term rental. You guys are overspending. I'm just saying. This coming from the person who's never stepped foot in Ikea. <laughs> I know it's I know it's more expensive than when I got a Facebook marketplace. I just know it. No, I had every, especially when we bought the six-unit we're flipping three of the units from long-term to short-term right now. We're And those are all two bedrooms. We left the one bedrooms alone for now. As the long-term tenants leave or if we knock it out of the park with these other short terms, we'll probably flip those other three. And I had every, 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 every intention of getting all the same furniture. I'm like, I'm going to do like a Wayfair order. We're going to have the same thing and everyone. And like, then we started hearing about the, like the supply chain issues. And I was like, God, can you imagine if like, we if like the couches are back ordered or something and we can't list this thing because of that and then we started thinking okay so we have you know we had to give the long-term tenants notice you know say what you want about me for that we had to give the long-term tenants notice and so we had you know we gave them 45 days so we had this like time period where we felt like okay you know what we could do 
is we could buy furniture and we could put it in a storage unit and we could start with like buying decorations and all of those things. And also my mother is insane. Like I love her, but like she gets wind we're doing another thing and she's just like, she, she's at the thrift store. Like that moment, like, like literally, like I told her the day, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to name one of the units after Pelicans today. She's like, I got three Pelican pictures from the thrift store. I'm like, geez, mom, like that was real quick. So she kind of immediately gets on it. She's like, what about this bunk bed? And what about this? And uh, so, you know, I also am a big thrift shopper and Facebook marketplace. We did a lot of that when we were buying, when we bought the bed and breakfast, it was like half furnished. So we did a lot of like moving furniture around, selling some furniture that was here, buying some furniture. So we just decided, okay, we're going to get a storage unit and we're going to buy the furniture. And when the tenants leave, we're going to be ready to go. And we have like movers scheduled. There's four guys, two trucks. It's already scheduled. So, you know, by the time the tenants are out on Tuesday, all three will be out. You know, the Saturday after that, we have, you know, all of the furniture is going to be moved in. And between now and then, every unit is going to be painted. Um, we're going to have the internet installed. My husband's going to do the Nest thermostats. He's also going to um, install the Schlage Encode locks, which are Wi-Fi locks, which set themselves with the systems that we have. So it's going to be a very quick turn and there's going to be no, you know, very little putting furniture together, right? We're going to have to put the beds back together and stuff, but you know, that's it. The, the, we're going to have movers. It's all going to be moved in. And that's just the decision that, that we made, um, you know, kind of one thing led to another. And we spent like, so little on this furniture and i think it's going to look pretty good again it's going to be i mean it's going to be a little bit campy it's going to be a little bit um you know a little bit rustic but again these units are they're they're ba- it's the only apartment building on the island um there's condos and there's single family homes but for the most part there's no apartments and so these are a little bit smaller than what other people you know what other places have and it's an island and it, these units are not on the water so we feel like we're in a budget area yet again. And so we feel like people are probably going to book for the price and for the budget. And they really just want a functional place to stay. Um, so for us, that really works. Also, what I will say is some of the furniture we're getting, I mean, it's super nice stuff. Like, you know, it'll be like, oh, a Macy's couch or a lot of it's, you know, some of the nicer Ashley's lines or Haverty's or, or what have you. And they're barely used. They're going to get dinged up anyway. So if they have a couple dings, who cares? And we've actually gotten in a lot of cases some very quality furniture for very, very inexpensive. Finance Hippie, did you have something you wanted to to add to the conversation, bud? Hey, Steven. Thank you. Sure. Um, <clears throat> a couple questions. Well, first, a, a comment to Steve. Uh, like Airbnb really is easy to set up. You know, you, you put some pictures in. I, you know, anybody that follows me knows I do it with my primary uh, from time to time. Uh, super simple and it, it, it works. Uh, and that kind of leads me into to my first question. So, you know, I live in the suburbs and, and I do rent it out on Airbnb and I make a, a lot of money. Margins are good. It's hard not to think about, um, you know, buying another place and using this one as a full time uh, short term rental. Honestly, I, I could probably retire on that income alone. Um, but. I feel bad for the neighbors and maybe, you know, I'm too nice of a guy despite what you guys uh, see me say in Twitter, but I, I do feel bad for, uh, <laughs> I do feel bad for the neighbors and, you know, I don't think they love it. Uh, it's not bad when I do it on the occasion, like one month per year or, or two months per year, but doing it fre- frequently, you know, people are, are moving out to the suburbs to live, you know, a nice life, um, you know, get to know their neighbors, just private 
so I was just curious what your guys thoughts on that, like, didn't, you know, your experience with neighbors. I know, Lauren, your situation is different because you own, like, a multi-unit. But if anybody else has comments on that. And then a second part question is, what do you guys look for? If you're looking for a short-term rental, what would you look for different than a long-term rental? And not necessarily the location, just, you know, uh, features of a house. Thanks, guys. Anybody have any neighbor stories? I mean, I, I can tell you how I address it. I'm not sure if it's the ideal answer, but most of the places where I'm in, you know, they're vacation areas. So people expect that there's going to be um, vacation rentals and it actually contributes a lot to the economy. So you may be a neighbor and you might be annoyed, but you're also a contractor or you run a cleaning service or you're a plumber. So you understand that it's a big part of the economy. Um, I do have um, a couple that are in condo developments and one of them, there's a lot of Airbnbs, a lot of rentals. So it's not a big deal. In another one, it is a little bit more of a big deal. I've had a little bit of pushback, but my average tenant or guest stays two to three months so it's not as big a deal but yeah i think you do have to be kind of kind of sensitive to the area i mean i've even had i had a complaint in uh, in joshua tree that you know a, a, a neighbor that was a block away could see the lights at night so i i changed the lights on my porch to something that was you know dimmer you know and they know that there's you know places surrounded by vacation rentals yeah my mentor who I've done Airbnb swaps with. She kind of helped me and taught a lot, taught me a lot of what I know. She um, gets all of the neighbors numbers. Um, and some of the neighbors are also her tenants. She has some mixed buildings like I do, where there's long-term tenants and short-term ho- short-term guests in there. So she gets all of their numbers. If they call her, they, um, they get through her do not disturb. Right. So she, and she's very forth, you know, forthright with them. She also has things in her units, um, two things. She has noise detectors and host alarms. So if the noise detectors go above a certain level twice, they get an email that says, hey, you need to keep it down or some kind of notification. If it goes a third time, she gets notified and she sets the host alarm off until they call her. And so that kind of stops like the party situation from happening. We have not gotten this crazy with it because we haven't had any issues. We do have a duplex where one side is a long-term tenant of ours. One time, one side is, you know, the Airbnb and there's, you know, there's a little bit of strife there, but the long-term tenants are really under market rent. We bought that. We bought the place and they have a three-year lease. So, you know, they're pretty far under market rent. They're also a little, a little rowdy sometimes. So we've had to ask them to quiet down when we're there. So, I guess it kind of it kind of works out a little bit. So, um, you know, I think just being like straightforward and making sure that there is an open line of communication is is definitely the way to go. Go ahead, Clint. Yeah, Lauren, I um, put a link to our short term rental up in the nest. So if anyone's wondering uh, what we're talking about, there's an example uh, with the Airbnb listing. And I realized, Lauren, I may have actually it may have actually cost me less to furnish than you because we bought a unit that was fully furnished and they left everything behind because they were trying to get back to their family in Lethbridge. So we only had to supplement a few rooms, which we did through Walmart, Ikea and uh, Wayfair. But most of that furniture was already there. One of the things that we noted scared the crap out of us after we'd bought was a lot of the people in that, complex don't like the people that are renting out their units but the person that managed the sale for us uh, assured us after the fact 
that because of the way the project is structured, it's actually a corporation and it has bylaws and we're all actual shareholders and those bylaws allow for rentals. And so there's uh, an inability for them to actually stop us from being able to rent it, although many of the owners would like that. So that's important. What we do to make sure we have a good experience for our neighbors and those around us is the property manager that we use, she'll only accept people who are ticking certain boxes she checks. So for example, because you're generally going to book for a group of eight or more, there has to be a certain number of people that are over the age of 40, as an example. So there has to be some mature people in the group. She's not going to rent it to 10 people who are 25 and up there for a stag, right? So she wants to make sure that the people that are renting aren't going to abuse the place, which I think is pretty smart on her part because she not only rents ours, but she does that for probably 10 or more uh, people that are up there. She manages all their properties. Back to you. I also do something finance hippie where you can, there's all these like different fields and you can say like about the area, about the neighborhood or whatever. And I say like 15 times it's in a quiet residential neighborhood, like over and over. And in our welcome information for the one where we, uh, the duplex is half and half, it says, you know, the, the people next to you are long-term tenants. Please do not interrupt their peaceful enjoyment, things like that. Um, I also take security deposits and I have a very serious renter's agreement. Like it's, from my mentor it's intense and it says in there like if you break a rule and one of the rules is quiet hours start at 10 p.m i will take your security deposit right so for the bigger places that's 250 bucks that you will not get back if you piss off my tenants so um we really haven't haven't had any issues um i know your other question was what do you look for in a short-term rental versus a long-term rental i think you can probably work with one or the other right location independent or whatever but like something that's super important is like where are you going to put your stuff is a huge deal um so at the new place we're getting a shed built on site and um, we know what we're going to have in there obviously all like the backup linens and stuff but i want to make sure that i have extra soap dispensers because sometimes those walk away extra pillows same situation um, like just little extra things here and there that you're going, that you're going to need. Um, so we need to have a shed that we're going to put stuff in. Um, and one of our units, our unit has like a bunch of, it has like so many closets. It's, it's kind of unbelievable. I don't know what was going on in the eighties. Like my 1901 home had one closet, my 1980 place is like 15. But so we have like a few different closets locked there. A lot of it is like our personal stuff. Um, so I'm always going to be looking for where can the cleaners be, And that, and like in the case of the six unit, I didn't want to like lock the stuff in each of the units because of course one of them is going to run out and you're not going to be able to go into the other one while people are there. So that's kind of the biggest thing for me that I'm looking for. Also like parking is a big deal. Some people like even like two, like sometimes we'll have couples where like, I guess maybe they don't live near each other and they'll meet here and they'll both have cars. Um, So that's, that's something else too. And that's why when we bought the six unit, we bought two lots with it as well. Um, so that people can park. And we're actually going to offer parking as an additional amenity for people like boats on boat trailers um, because parking is kind of an issue. So that's something that we're going to be offering additional. I don't know, Tom, CJ, Clint, Contrarian, anybody else with an idea of what to look for in a, a short-term rental versus a long-term rental besides location? Um, I, I think that 
in a short-term rental, you're really trying to deliver a unique experience. So whether it's having, you know, activities outside the home, hot tub, amenities, or just giving them a unique design experience. Whereas long-term rental, it's a lot more about functionality. I mean, you need the parking, you need the laundry, you know, you need the space, you need the closet space. It's functional, but I think in a short term, Lauren herself said, hey, some people don't even need a kitchen. They can live in 200 square feet. Um, it's just delivering that unique experience in whatever way, either it could be a tiny house, it could be amenities, it could be design, it could be views, it could be a lot of different things. But I think that's, to me, that's the big difference between managing a short term or creating a short term rental and creating a long term rental. Well said. Finance hippie, does that help? Yes. Uh, great answers uh, all around. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Hey, oh, car wash monk. And then Mary, we'll get to you after that. Uh, have any of you all built one from scratch? A short term rental? I'm actually thinking about it. I'm, I, I, I don't think anyone else on the panel has. So sorry for taking speaking out of my turn here. But, um, I, you know, I'm kind of running out of options in, in some other things. So I am actually looking for some land and, and, and highly considering building something, something small, something cheap, but it, it will uh, work perfectly for me. So no, but I'm definitely interested in that in that with you. <laughs> yeah, there's no way that a tiny home costs that much money to build. There's just no way. It's it's wild. I I would go the tiny home route. People like that. They think it's cool. They think it's interesting. You can do like the, I see some of the storage container homes or like my cousin has this idea that she's going to like build like build a bunch of like yurts someday or something. Like there's a lot of things you can do if you design with that in mind, which is which I think is kind of interesting. The yurt thing is it just hit uh is actually what I'm trying to think what I'm thinking about right now. So it's funny that you said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She went to school in Colorado. She's one of you people out there. Now is oh, is a yurt like a tent or is it like the bubble thing? It's yeah, it's it's like a tent but more round uh and more homey. But it's definitely more of a Colorado thing. Uh not necessarily, but it's it's a de- definitely a certain type of person that would like it. And that type of person is, is uh highly likely to come to Colorado. So, you know, there's, there's a high, you know, and you have to know the, the location that you're, you're trying to build it in and, and make sure it works for, for that uh, audience. Yeah, it has like a hard floor, I think. And then it's got it's like it's not like a tent wall. It's like much thicker than that. Um, but you do have to like replace that, I think, every five years or, or something like that. Um, but something else to think about when you're building, of course, is like permits and stuff and densities and and things like that. You know, my husband and I, what we really want to do. We would love to do this. I don't know if we ever will because we'll probably retire and lose interest in it. But buy like a like some land and then develop a literally a tiny home community and then maybe keep some of those as short term rentals for ourselves and sell the rest. I just I think those are so cool. And I think the their future I think that's the future. I think it might even be the future, honestly, for living situations um, because of how expensive things are both to build and just to buy existing. So I would love to do that. I think those are really interesting. So if I was going to build, I would definitely go off of what Contrarian was saying, where you kind of build for an experience and and you can almost make your property the destination. I feel like people would buy them as spec homes, even if you didn't want to use them as uh, short-term rentals. I mean, if you can sell one for like 
$60,000, there's probably a lot of people that are way priced out of the market and would look at it and be like, wow, that seems really cool. Definitely. I might, uh, if for building, I would just check local regulations because in California, I mean, you could bring a, t- you know, a tiny house onto a lot, but you have to attach it to a foundation. You have to get utilities. You know, I have a property that's on a well, and I asked the county how much it would cost to hook it up to city water. It was $450,000. So <laughs> do your homework. That's all I can say, especially if you're in California or anywhere near California. Well, do your okay. homework in general. Look, I don't, I don't love the idea of kind of operating under the radar. I mean, you can if you want to. Um, the town that my bed and breakfast is, is in, there's tons and tons of short-term rentals. But what I have that they don't is overnight lodging zoning. So they could all conceivably be, be shut down. And my husband and I joke, we're like, we should call the co- we should call the city on them, you know, like send our business would go through the roof. But of course, we're not going to do that. Like rising tide floats all boats. The more tourists are here, the better it is for everybody. So, you know, but I, I like to operate. And then our, our six unit is... Um, it's in like a literally a tourist community. It's on an island. They depend on the tourism. And my understanding is that Florida has a ban on bans. So if there are local municipalities that haven't ruled on short-term rentals, they can't be banned. I suppose they could be regulated. They could require permits and things like that. But I do get state licenses for all of mine, which I'm sure not a lot of people do and and things like that. Go ahead, Stephen. So if I could, um, What's been the worst experience you've had as a short-term rental owner and operator? Uh, I'd love to go through the panel and just kind of hear your worst experience that you've had. I think that would help to um, assuage any kind of like fear. Like, you know, the returns are terrific, but what has been the worst thing that's happened? Is it neighbor complaints? Is it back payments, rejected payments, vacancies? What What's the downside to all of this? Go ahead, Hippie. Uh, hey, so, you know, prior to doing this monthly thing, when I first bought my house, I did buy it as a, uh, you know, to, for Airbnb to do it over the weekends. So I did a fair amount of weekends. And uh, I always like meeting the people. So when I met the people, it was always a better experience. They knew it was my house. They respected, you know, they respected the house. They they treated it kind of like they were a guest. Uh, so one time I wasn't able to meet the guest, just they were coming in so late. So I wasn't able to show them anything. And Oh God, that the, like they messed up their toilet upstairs, overflew water started seeping to the walls. I had to, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> peel off all the paint <clears throat> and then repaint it. Just, just a nightmare. Uh, and I don't know, they, they left it messier than, than most whereas everybody else was just so respectful, uh, cl- cleaned up, put all their towels in, in a pile. Whereas the one group of people that I, I didn't meet, uh, you know, just left my house, uh, you know, a mess. And I never took a security deposit. Uh, I'm interested, uh, you know, I know Lauren said that she does. And if that, you know, affects, uh, affects, you know, your, your occupancy rate, I was always skeptical of, of doing it, but it's definitely a great idea to at least have that security deposit. But um, yeah, that was probably my, my worst one. Just <laughs> uh, let's Lauren talk. <laughs> yeah, my I was trying to think of one of my, my husband who's listening text to me and I was like, oh yeah, that was it. Um, just to touch on the security deposit really quickly. If you're going to collect a security deposit through Airbnb, you have to do it through the resolution center. So you have to basically request money and they have to send it. I use a reservation system called Owner Res. 
I have one point of truth for all of my listings and they feed into the platforms. I don't have to communicate on the platform anymore. Um, Airbnb still collects payment for me for VRBO. I collect my own payments through Stripe. Um, but either way, no matter where anybody books, they can also book directly on my website, things like that. It then sends them a renter's agreement and a link to submit a security deposit. It's only a hold on my small ones. It's $100 on my larger ones. It's $250. It's not a ton of money. If somebody doesn't want to put a $100 deposit, I don't want them in my place, frankly. I just don't. It's not even. A, it's, I don't even take it. It's just a hold on their credit card. So I have had one person who canceled um, because after like they booked and then they canceled because of the security deposit because they were like, well, Airbnb told me you'll never take payment from me and the payment is through Airbnb. And I'm like, Okay. I mean, technically true, but you know, and I had somebody kind of balk at it the other day, but he ended up doing it also. Um, you know, so I, I just, I haven't had any issues with it. I got a four star the other day instead of a five star because I collect a deposit and take an agreement. But you know what? Like I haven't had a ton of issues with anybody. I haven't had any nightmare guests or anything, like literally like none. That's why when, <laughs> when you asked us, even I couldn't think of anybody because I was thinking about nightmare guests, but you know, the worst thing that happened to me, we use the Schlage encode locks and, uh, I'm not sponsored by them and, and you'll hear why in a second. Um, but the lock is a, you know, it's a Wi-Fi lock. So, and it's also got a keypad. So you do the keypad and, and it unlocks the door, right? We figured if it ever broke, it's fine. There's a keyhole. So we have a key hidden in a very strategic place. If it ever dies, we or ten, or they'll message us and we'll tell them where to go get the key. We also have a remote ability to monitor, monitor the batteries and, you know, people tell us what, you know, we can tell when it's going down or whatever and we replace them. So anyways, so we think there's like, what can happen here? Well, the lock, so the door got a little like swollen, like somehow water got into it. And so the door wasn't shutting, shutting great. And so the lock was having a hard time closing probably for a long time. And, it locked a guest in there and like in there and there's only one door. Cause it's like, my husband's a fire protection engineer. Okay. So it's allowed to have one door. Don't even come at me with life safety issues. I will own you. But so there's a window. And so we were like passing, we had to pass these tools to this guest <laughs> and she had to like take the lock apart. And we didn't even know that was the problem. We thought it was the lock, right? Cause it was wet in the lock because it gotten wet in the door. So we just replaced the lock. And then like a week later, a guest was locked out and I had to climb through this like little teeny tiny window and then I had to take the lock apart. And so like there were like these back to back and that's when we realized it wasn't the lock, it was the door. Then I had to call my uncle up from two hours away to replace the door when this lady was like at work or whatever. I've never had like an emergency door replacement. And I don't know how if anybody owns real estate, but doors are hard. Like that was eye-opening for me when I first started buying places, how hard doors are to hang and things like that. And it's easy for them to be a problem. So that's uh, that's that's definitely the worst the worst thing to happen to me. And in that case, actually, Schlage sent me a new lock in one of those situations. Because I was like, even if this is happening, it shouldn't fail locked. It shouldn't fail. Like, that's an insane scenario there. So anyways, now we're real particular about how our doors hang and make sure they close really easily. A different kind of lock that I've heard of, I think it's a Yale lock. It will just break the crap out of your door. Like the door will not break the lock. The lock will break your door frame. It will close. So, you know, I hear those stories sometimes too. Um, anybody else have one? No, I don't have any horror stories. Um, only been doing this for about nine months. Just like maybe some, I guess throwing up, but I don't clean it anyways. The cleaners do that. 
but I've also had a problem with the lock. Um, I locked myself out, the short-term rental, um, and the lock, it got jammed, and all of a sudden, it shut off. I think it was because it was so cold outside, and so I had to call a locksmith, and he had to drill the lock out. So I think uh, that's a valid point, what you said, Lauren, about the doors. Just be careful of what kind of smart locks you choose, because um, if it's not going to close all the way, then you can have real problems. Yeah, that was something that I really didn't anticipate. And I think if you're, I think if you have a place, probably the Clint, like the size of yours, or if you're on any of these like forums online, it does seem like there's a ton of horror stories. Um, my experience has not been that. It may be because I collect security deposits. I think it's also because my places are smaller. They're studios, ones and two bedrooms. It's, it's a little bit difficult to have. I'm not saying it's impossible. It'll probably happen, but it's a little difficult to have a party in these smaller spaces. Um, the bigger ones, you can make money hand over fist. Like, you know, my mentor, she swears by like four and five bedrooms. You can get like a thousand dollars a night. Um, we have just chosen to have, have smaller places. It's quicker turns. Um, there's fewer things that can get broken. It, you know, there's, um, there's not as many linens and things like that. So we've made a conscious choice to have studios, ones and two bedrooms just to avoid kind of parties. And we've had, we've had some barf, but you know, that is what it is. <laughs> That's funny. Um, it's funny you bring that up about the ones and two bedrooms, studio apartments, I have a friend who just started in a uh, short-term rental and their focus was to get as many beds into it as possible. They have 19, they can sleep 19 people in the vacation rental. And uh, that's their value add and proposition is that you can have two and three families in this place. But then you got to think, well, the side effect of that is you got, uh, you know, you run the risk of damage and other things too. Um, I guess different ways to play and stuff. Um, I'd like to ask Tom. Yes, you, Steve, you, Steve, Steve, one yeah. one comment for you on that one. Yeah. yeah, we we can we have a king size bed, two queen size beds, three doubles, one or two trundle beds, and a fold out bed. So I think we could sleep between 15 and 20, but we're maxed out at 12. So there is something in the bylaws that says that if you're renting it out, you're only allowed a maximum of 12 people in the house. So probably two to three families is, is what we would target renting it out to. And then that makes it so you can, you can charge a whole lot more, right? Like, cause you can just. Like, yeah. That's why, yeah. Um, like again, seven fifty a night, it's a big number, but if it's, if you've got, three families it's only 250 a night and when we've gone up in those summers that we've been there we're splitting that with another family they have four people we have four people so you have eight people it's like a 100 bucks a person a night it's still i mean it's not inexpensive but it's no different than going somewhere nice like going to hawaii and staying in a hotel when you add in the airfare that's way more expensive than than this so it when you can divide it between three families or two families you're able to get that cost up to share it between the people that are going that's right and so so two different ways to play the same angle you know the 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 small one which i like with that lauren's doing and then these the larger one how do you manage the risk then of parties and noise with the neighbors is this just you put it in the bylaw or you put it in the, um, sorry, the rental agreement? 
Yeah, it's in the agreement. And like uh, I was mentioning earlier, our property manager will only rent it if if there's a certain number of people in that party that are above a certain age, i.e. she's trying to rent it to families, right? So if you have three people who are above 40, she's not too worried about them going uh, batshit crazy in the cottage. So that's that's the argument there is she tries to rent to families and she lives there year round. So our property manager uh, during the summers, she uh, stays in her friend's basement and rents hers out full time and then moves into hers in the winter. So she's up there year round, Steve. So she she has visibility of whether someone's, you know, uh, screwing around or doing something they shouldn't. And she's on top of it. Steve, have you ever been so happy to be 40? Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. I can't uh, stay there. I'm, 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 I'm still yeah, like, you're, yeah. Yeah, you're allowed to stay there, Steve. <laughs> I'm, allowed, I'm allowed to stay there, yeah, without any parental supervision or <laughs> <laughs> pre-signed agreement. This is fantastic. Tom, you could Best... stay there next year. <laughs> <laughs> Tom's like, I am not. I, he, yeah, Tom's been 39 my... for the last five years. I'm 39. <laughs> <laughs> Your husband can only go with you, Tom. He can't go by himself. Oh my god, it's so funny. Uh, okay, so I did want to ask Tom. So, because you you just started one, right? Have you have you rented it out yet? Like, how how far in are you? Um, it is staged. It's got some finishing. It's not going to be rented. Uh, I'm targeting May to put it on on the market, and um, but I am renting the downstairs next week. And I keep getting questions on why I'm not just doing two. Um, to this is my way of like dabbling my toe in without really going all crazy because i will be so my downstairs it's a duplex it's on the water i've been posting about it all year and um my downstairs is rented and it's rented at 800 dollars a month and the house it has no mortgage on it so that 800 dollars co- covers my tax and insurance it doesn't make me anything but i'm covered so this is my way of, of number one, having a place to stay when I go up to Ohio for months at a time, and two, trying this short-term rental. I, I have two in Dallas that I would potentially change as well, but I want to test this one and see how it goes. So it'll go up in May. I like that. I really like that approach. I think trying one makes a lot of sense to see if you like it. I I don't think I knew how much more work it would be compared to long-term renting, but I also didn't anticipate how rewarding it would be um, and how much I would enjoy it because it's real estate, but it's also hospitality. But I mean, I've had long-term rentals and you have no incentive to paint it. You have no incentive to make it beautiful. You have no incentive to do anything with the yard. You know, here people, they're like, hey, where should I go eat? And I'm like, oh my God, you should totally try this awesome place that I go to all the time, right? Ask for the server. You know, I get to show people, you know, my area and tell them, you know, give them recommendations. And also just, it. I get rewarded for putting money into my properties. And then, I, you know, I get to deal with happy people all the time. Like, you know, our, our reviews are really good. People are also just so grateful. You know, we, we bought a 1901 home and yes, it was a bed and breakfast, but we put $175,000 into this property and it shows and it's beautiful. And people are like, you did a great job. I've never had a long-term tenant be even remotely grateful 
that I scrimped and saved and bought a place so that they have a place to live. It's just, it just never happened for me. Yeah. When um, we actually visited the, the, the family that has the, the short-term rental with 19 beds in there, we went down and visited their place and it was awesome. And they had the hot tub. So uh, I understand yeah, like you want to have that amenity and they were going around. We went, and uh, they were taking photos and they were building like a binder of stuff you can do, places you can go to and uh, hikes you can go on when you're there too. So I, I, I hear what you're saying with you want to build an experience and showcase the place, put money in. There's an incentive to reinvest into it so that you uh, create that experience that they're paying you for and they're paying you roughly three to four times what the normal long-term tenant would be paying you. And uh, it's, yeah. So, so, so Tom, what's been the biggest challenge for you though, in setting this up and getting it ready? That's what, that's Uh, where I wanted to go with that line of questioning was just how, like, what's been the biggest challenge for you, man? Being an out of state. I, I mean, this is out of state right now. So, uh, just today I'm texting with a contractor cause the downstairs needs to be a hundred percent and it's been at 90% for about three months and just trying to get him to finish the last 10% and get the two other contractors in to finish the 10% is it's just dragging. And if I'm not, it's crazy cause I'll go there and I, I went up to Ohio about a month ago, or three weeks ago. And when I was there, a ton of shit happened that weekend. And then I left and everything just stopped again. So if I'm not there to hold hands and buy finishes and go get lunch for the crew while they're working, it just stalls. And my contractor is not on the spaces right now, but he does think that I'm going to Ohio on Friday. So I have a feeling that things are going to like, I I got progress pictures uh, while we were in here tonight of stuff that he worked on today that needs to be done before the, the tenant moves in next week. So my being an out of state investor is hard for something like this. And that's also why I'm targeting May to have it up and running and professionally photographed because I want it to be done right. And I'm going to go up there and do stuff myself and, and, and get some finishes put in. And, you know, Lauren just posted about these cleaning supply checklist and, and things that, you know, the short, the, the different things that I need. So I'm going to make sure that I have everything in place before I, I put it up. I'm going to make sure that it's photographed correctly. And, um, I want it to, you know, I know Lauren, you were just talking about how, when you guys were starting, you just threw that one up, but, um, this is my first, it's a different market. It doesn't have a lot of short-term rentals. I'm just, uh, kind of, testing the water and seeing how it goes. And if it doesn't work as a short-term rental, that's okay because downstairs pays for my, my mortgage and my, or I'm sorry, my um, insurance and my um, taxes. So that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And we were up against season, right? Like we are now. I think that, you know, we were, we could acutely feel that every day that we delayed, we were losing one to $200. And that's the same thing that's going on right now for the six units. So you know, even in giving the tenants, the long-term tenants, 45 days versus 30 days, you know, they're not exactly appreciative. Um, but, you know, like those extra two weeks really cost us. And But it, I do agree, Tom, like you have to you have to be there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going up. I'm going up this weekend to test paints because 
Tom wouldn't let me just buy one paint color. He said, I have to test the paints first. So I'm going out for this weekend to test paints. And um, Tom asked me a, a while back for like, you know, what do you need for each unit? So I create, I went on Gumroad and I created this, um, like a sample supply list and a sample cleaning list that you can download. I, I did just post those in the nest. It's like a give what you want type of thing. You can totally download them for free and just use them if you want. But I did create those initially to kind of help Tom with, with launching his, it's, it's pretty exhaustive, you know, but I, I wouldn't cut corners, right? Like I wouldn't skimp on, I wouldn't like buy a property, get everything and then skimp on the sheets. You know what I mean? Like don't buy two sets of sheets, buy three sets of sheets for each bed, you know, and oh my God, more towels than you would possibly imagine. Right. So that's kind of all in that supply list and you can go ahead and download it if you want. Yeah, Lauren, you sound a lot like my wife who, when we were going to go up there, had laundry lists of every single thing we had to buy, including spoons, forks, knives, spatulas. Like you, you just figure what is every single thing in every single room that your tenant's going to want, right? Do it salt, pepper, ketchup, mustard. Like what do we need to fill in the fridge? What do we need to have in the cupboards? It, it gets pretty exhaustive when you look at it. And I'm looking at it from an outsider barely involved. She's the one ordering all that shit and getting me 200 rolls of toilet paper that are going in a in a locked closet or all the extra cleaning supplies, right? Because we're not up there for eight to nine months. So we need to buy enough stuff that our property manager just opens the door takes it out or the cleaners do and, and it's ready to go. And so it, it was exhausting watching her go to work on that. So you putting that list together for people who haven't done it, that's great. Yeah. And I sent you that, I sent you guys in our group chat, that picture from the weekend. Like I sent I, I, my poor grandma, I sent like, she's never even got Amazon. She doesn't have internet or anything, but like all of a sudden she got like 19 huge Amazon boxes because <laughs> she lives near to the, near the property. And I was like, rather than taking them, sending them to our house, taking them to storage unit, having the movers move it up. I was like, Hey grandma, you have a lot of space. <laughs> Can I send some boxes to you? And it is a lot, but it's, it's necessary. It was, I mean, just to get the supplies, I think we said our furniture was about, it was about $1,000 a unit. So we spent about $3,000 to get, you know, two, I'm sorry, three, two bedroom units furnished. And it's also about $3,000 just for kind of like the supply type things. Um, You know, the linens, the towels, um, everything that you need for the kitchen, Um, you know, and that's even with, you know, some thrift shopping right i didn't we didn't get like the blenders at thrift shops or anything but like i'll get a colander or i'll get a teapot not me my mom will get a colander or a teapot or something you know from thrift stores here and there and i know like the silverware is going to be brand new right but maybe not the baking dishes and things like that so or like the mugs so i know at this point what needs to be bought new versus what my mom can grab while she's out thrifting for me whether i like it or not all right guys do we have any can more I, questions? Yeah, can I ask a really dumb question? Of course. Excellent. I this is my specialty. I got really got lots of dumb questions. Okay. <laughs> can uh, Okay, uh, I want to know can I reverse it? Can I go back to long-term rental on it? Now, I know off the top you're going to say yes you can. But is there a way in which like because of the property that you bought or the way you set it up or the rental that you did to it, you've backed yourself in and now it has to be a short term. 
or can I, I always do it as a long term? If I is, just say like I don't like the workload, I it's not for me. I want to go back to long term. Can I ever go back? Yeah, of course you could. You could also sell it furnished with whatever your, um, you know, whatever whatever your. Um, say you have months and months of bookings, you have all these numbers to show, sell it furnished, sell it like it is, tell them you can take over my, my listing or whatever. Um, I also, I wouldn't go back. Once I bought the furniture and everything, what I would do is I would switch to something called furnished finders and I would focus on traveling nurses or seasonal rentals, just people that are there a longer time. You'll make less money, but I think overall it's it's much, much less work. And you you know, you make less money than you would doing Airbnb or VRBO or whatever, but more than you would doing long term and you don't have to get rid of all the furniture and stuff. So that's probably what I would do versus going back. But sure. And I always I run the numbers as if I have to switch to long term eventually. If something changes that I don't anticipate, I run the numbers that the properties at least float themselves including, you know, mortgage taxes, insurance, maintenance, and um, like capital expenditures, vacancy, things like that. And I can see CJ's throwing up his emojis. He agrees with, you know, buying places that work. Don't assume it's going to be a short-term rental. I wouldn't buy a place. I wouldn't be like, sweet, it's a, <laughs> it's an 18 cap or whatever is like a, a long-term rental, right? Make sure that, you know, the numbers work. I mean, as a short-term rental, make sure the numbers work as a long-term rental, I would say. Well, yeah, because and I, part of that is because like the, the, the people that I know that have one, the rental that they did, making it into a 19 sleeper, like, I don't know if that's going to work as a long-term rental. You'd have to kind of undo that a little bit. I'm I'm curious with Contrarian because you have some high end places in Joshua Tree. What's what's your view on this? Can I undo them and make them long term? You know, realistically, no. I mean, you you could rent it out, I guess, monthly, but you would be giving up so much revenue that I would probably just sell them. I mean, you know, unless the market took a nosedive of fifty, sixty, seventy percent in terms of sale prices. I'd make money on any of them by selling them. Um, it's just not worth it to me because, you know, uh, rentals might be $1,500 a month. And, you know, a short-term rental, you're making six, $7,000 a month. They're set up, you know, they don't have a lot of closet space. They have a lot of outdoor amenities. Uh, I would probably just end up selling them. But by the same token, um, those uh, short-term rentals that can't be converted to long-term might, be, might give you your best return. Because generally speaking, the higher the risk, the greater the reward. And I have plenty. I have also have several that could, you know, some kind of balanced out in, in other areas, have them that could turn into long term. But up in the high desert, nope, I, I would just sell them. No, it's awesome. Thanks, thanks for that insight. It's great having two conflicting viewpoints. Awesome. <laughs> uh, finance hippie. So this might be more for con- contrarian. Uh, since you have some places that are more remote, is it hard finding a cleaning service that is reliable, especially if it's, you know, every few days or has that not been a problem? Um, you know, when I first started like four or five years ago, it was really tricky, but the place, the area has exploded and there have been, now everybody has a management company, everybody has a cleaning service. So it is a little bit easier because even though it is remote, there's a ton of vacation rentals. I'd say probably 20% of the housing stock is vacation rentals. So um, it's gotten better. And what I will say, we're same kind of thing. The place that we're buying, it's it's very remote. I mean, the closest town that has the Walmart where my grandma lives is, you know, 30 miles away. So 
there are a ton of short-term rentals there. So there are cleaners and things like that. We thought, okay, we could try to manage our own cleaners, but instead our cleaner that works in this area is going to kind of hire interview and then manage cleaners from that area, sort of expand her business. But, you know, basically we'll, she still, she has access to our reservation system. She gets notified every time we get a new booking or a cancellation. And so she already knows kind of the ins and outs of that. She knows what products we use. She knows about our linens. She knows about our, 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 you know, what I'm picky about, what I'm not picky about. And so she is actually going to come up with us next weekend. We're moving, you know, well, we're moving on the 19th. So the weekend after next. And then, um, She's going to come up, spend a couple of days up there, interview people, things like that. And then she's going to manage our cleaners. So that was kind of what, what we worked out. All right. Any more questions? The uh, Lauren, that last one you just talked about with the cleaners and then what you talked about with organizing and transitions, that was one of the biggest reasons we lent towards going with a property manager was once we started understanding the logistics. I just remember like the because we met with uh, one of the women who was explaining all the things she does to manage her own. And I just remember my wife partway through listening kind of just looked at me with a WTF face and we finished that call and she's like, I want a property manager. And I was like, you got it. <laughs> right? So I totally hear you. Yeah. I mean, we're, that's certainly always an option. We're doing okay right now. I mean, we still, my husband and I both still have our, our full-time jobs. You know, by the end of the year, we'll have, you know, eight short-term rentals, four long-term rentals. Um, but we will be, you know, basically work optional, both of us um, from doing this. And so probably before I hired a property manager, I would quit my full-time job is probably the direction I would go instead. Okay. Well, guys, it's been about an hour and a half. It's about how long these normally are. Does anybody have any short-term rental questions? Or did we cover everything? You think you can do it? Start tomorrow? Lauren, do you think you could go like... If you were going back in time and you were about to start this, what do you wish that you knew before you started that you know now that you wish you knew two years ago when you were getting into it? And CJ and um, Contrarian and Finance, like what is something that you wish you knew when you started uh, just for those? Because I know that there, I, I got a DM about somebody who's who's trying to get this started and What's one of those things that you wish you knew that you didn't know back then? Okay. I cut out there, but I think I heard you. So I didn't know how much different the work would be. It's certainly more um, than I would be doing on a long-term rental. I don't think I knew up front that I should be as proactive as I need to be. So I, it definitely makes sense for me to, you know, every day really kind of you know, just spend 15 minutes think about, okay, who's where, what cleans are happening? You know, do I owe my cleaner a check? Um, you know, what, what's, what's going on? Who's in the units? Things like, is there any big things I need to be thinking about? Well, did, did my cleaner tell me I needed to order something? Is something broken that I need to order? Is, is there something my husband needs to fix? Right? Like just kind of spend, it's literally like 15, 20 minutes a day that I need to spend on it. And it's just, it's kind of, it's just different. I didn't know that it was something that I was going to have to be so proactive about. And I was really reactive at first. 
Um, so that was kind of the, that was the biggest thing for me. I think my husband will probably text me again and let me know what we didn't know. Um, anybody else? Same question. Contrarian. Um, I don't know. Sorry. I don't know the biggest uh, thing for me, but um, one of the most important things for me was uh, the pricing. So I priced my short-term rental way too high to begin with, and I got bad reviews because of it. And then I finally uh, signed up for Price Labs, and it helped out a ton because when um, you have those odd days, like a, a Tuesday that's not rented out, um, Price Labs will actually go into your calendar and price your rental um, in comparison to the other rentals that are currently um, vacant as well. And they'll, you know, mark it down by maybe a dollar or two so that you can get that booking and you're competitive all times. So I would say uh, pricing is definitely important. Yes, because there is a value category, which I find so subjective. But anyways, yes, absolutely, CJ. We use Price Labs as well. We were priced too low. I mean, we've been getting bookings. We just got like an $800 booking for the camper. And it was like, they, what? Like, what did Price Labs, what did you do? You know, so... Um, but it's, it's dynamic pricing. It's like that we have, if we have like a golf tournament or we have Gasparilla or, you know, just whatever it is, they know, like Price Labs knows what's going on. There's something here called, you know, epiphany where, you know, they do the Greek cross diving thing, you know, Price Labs knows when these things are happening and it prices accordingly. And like CJ said, it also, if you have, if you have a blank space, it will decrease the price for you based on whatever your settings are. We also have gone in a couple times and lowered stuff manually on our own. Um, and Price Labs does allow you to pick kind of a base price and a ma- you know lowest price and a maximum price if you want to go that route too. Um, we had a little more. We didn't use Price Labs last January. We had a little more vacancy, but made quite a bit more money, which I thought was interesting using Price Labs. So that's a that's a really really good one. And does Price Labs have a, a monthly cost, and and how does that work? Yeah, it's per property per month. I think uh, CJ, do you know what it, what it is? I think it's like maybe fifteen dollars a property. Uh, twenty bucks a month. Oh, twenty. Okay, yeah, worth it. Yeah, so we pay for that. We pay for our owner reservation system. We um, use, we hired a bookkeeper recently. We use QuickBooks. And then we use a system called Remote Lock, which um, integrates with our reservations system. And then it sets the locks automatically a half an hour before the people are to arrive and cuts it off a half an hour after they're supposed to check out. So we don't have to set the locks. We spent like we spent most of the last year setting the locks manually ourselves. Like literally my husband would go back there and, and set them. But once we realized we really like short-term rentals, that's when we realized, okay, we need to get some systems. We need to get the pricing software. We need to get the reservation software and the locking software and, and all of these things. And if, you know, and then get serious about it and expand. All right. Any more questions? All right, let's wrap it up then. So everybody, um, thanks for coming out to Wealth Wednesday. Um, This will be, if you missed the beginning or you jumped out and back in, this will be on the Adulting is Easy podcast in a few days. It's taking us a little longer to get the recordings lately. So, you know, we try Friday, might be as late as Monday. Um, If you think of any questions that um, we didn't, and that you didn't think of now or you want to message us, we're all open for that. Make sure you follow everybody on the panel. 
um, and will be around next week. Um, Clint, do you want to say our, our parting words today? Oh my gosh, I'm not sure I'm qualified for today, Lauren. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you the we're gonna call you the queen of short term rentals. I'm gonna let you lead the parting words today, my friend. Uh, I like to be adulting is easy, but that's fine. Yeah, so everybody, you know, you can. I guess what we learned tonight is you can get started. There's a balance between getting everything right and just getting going. Um, you got to make sure that you know how to run your numbers. I would suggest being conservative in your numbers. Um, and then know what your startup costs are. Again, I have those, you know, the the cleaning checklist and also the supply checklist. There's a good amount of, of, of startup costs. It depends a little bit on what, you know, how high end you want to go. Um, but I definitely, I like it. It's more of a job than a long-term rental is, but I like it. I like sharing my town and my properties and everything with people. And so I'm really passionate about it. It works for me. Um, and if you've been kind of thinking about it, I suggest doing like Tom did. Take one property, switch it to short term and see how it goes. All right, everybody. Thanks. We'll see you next week.